Hör das so? An article appeared in the New York Times just very recently, I think it's still on the internet, uh, and it was declaring that physicists are, are discovering why we exist. And it's a good article. Uh, and it has to do, and so why does Anticepel exist? Uh, and the reason for it is because in the early formation of the universe, the interface of antimatter and matter did not completely cancel themselves out. And that is the decay is about 1% off, and so the matter won. In, in the great collision between matter and antimatter, matter won by 1%, and so the whole universe comes out of that 1% uh, that didn't get destroyed in the interface between matter and antimatter. The point here is ask a physical question and you get a physical answer. You ask a question, why do we exist? And if you couch that in terms of matter and antimatter, that's the answer you get, right? And so as a footnote to yesterday, I guess it was yesterday afternoon, it was about the atoms. On the one hand, what I presented from John Wheeler sounds preposterous. And that is, okay, first there's observers, then, then there's information, and then there's matter or there's, there are atoms. As if there's some human being hanging out there at 13.7 billion years ago, you know, then conjuring up the universe. It sounds, I mean, it really is, put in that way, it is indeed absurd. But what Wheeler is no absurd man, a uh, very, very profound thinker, a very outstanding uh, physicist. What he was speaking of is a strange loop, and that's where it gets interesting. A strange loop that in the one, on the one hand, because there are observers, we can speak of there being information. Without observers, there is no information. And out of the information, the appearances that we gain by making measurements. This, th th these measurements, by the way, came from the Fermi Lab, uh, which is a, a particle, particle accelerator, I believe, in Chicago, isn't it? Chicago. It's going to be, well, it is basically being supplanted by the great uh, Hadron Super Collider in France and, and Switzerland. Uh, so they're expecting maybe they'll even get more definitive answers of why we exist. But the point here is that based upon the type of appearances, which is information, which are measurements, get gained from such a thing as the Fermi lab, then we get, then we formulate ideas, concepts, which we impute as matter, antimatter, their collisions, the 1% different differential in terms of their breakdown. Um, and so on the one hand, we have the observers first, and of course it was observers who created the Fermi lab. It was human beings, observer participants, who then from the Fermi lab got information, and then from that information then we have these articles coming out about matter, antimatter, and so forth. On the one hand, but now that we have that story, now that we have this wonderful research, and it is outstanding research, now we can say, and this is the strange loop, and that the matter and intermatter in their engagement and the 1% differential, differential gave rise then to the matter that forms the universe. And over the 13.7 over the billion years of evolution of this, of this universe, during the last 5 billion, we had the formation of planet Earth and the development of life on this planet, which about a million years ago, or something like that, uh, gave rise to human beings who just a few years ago came up with the idea of physics and yesterday or this last week came up with the notion <laughs> of this interface of a matter and antimatter. And so that's a good story. It's a valid story. It has its own conventional reality to it. And so it's a strange loop. Observers giving rise to information, giving rise to matter. Matter giving rise to yielding as we make measurements, information from which we the observers, participants, make sense and formulate our theories. It's a strange loop. Dependent origination, prati to samudbada. But you can say, well, which one's absolutely real? 
you know, the chicken, the chicken and the egg. Wasn't, there was really matter first, right? And John Wheeler would say, no, the very notion of matter came from information. There is no information without observers. Then we say, okay, it was observers. There, was, there really was an atom. Atoms were created by Adam. And maybe energy was created by, of course, Eve. <laughs> there we go. We're back to the biblical account that we had two people way back when, and they, except for that, doesn't matter. What was their bodies made out of? Hot fudge Sundays? You know, no, their bodies must have been made of matter, so that doesn't make any sense. So you can't posit either the observer participant as the absolute, or the matter as the absolute, or information as the absolute, because those are three prongs on a tripod. They all are mutually interdependent, and that's where the strange loop comes up. And this is very much like Madhyamaka. Pratitusamadpada, the mutual interdependence of information. The one who is informed, does that ring a bell here for our meditation? The one who is informed, the one who is aware, the one who is noting, the one who is directing consciousness. If you want to know why you exist, and you ask a physical question, you'll get a physical answer. And that will shed light on matter. It will shed no light on the nature of information and no light on the nature of the observer participant. If you'd like to know why do you exist, another type of question now, asking a non-physical question is going right into the nature of consciousness and probing that nature, seeing out of the flow of consciousness. How is it that you formulate yourself? Literally conceive of yourself or conceive yourself out of consciousness. And in conceiving self, we conceive other. Out of other, we conceive the manifold world. All mutually interdependent. So this is physics, this is Buddhism. As a very side note, and then I want to jump into meditation, philosophers too have raised some of these very deep issues, and, and my favorite one in this regard is still alive, as far as I know, uh, and that is Hilary Putnam. Hilary Putnam has taught for years. He's a professor emeritus now at Harvard, very distinguished, uh, and I've read some of his work, especially in the 1980s, his pragmatic realism or internal realism, uh, reality with the human face and the many faces of realism. He, as a philosopher and a very, very smart one, uh, with a good knowledge of physics and mathematics, as well as analytical philosophy, relying on, on uh, Kant, Wittgenstein, and William James, has formulated a theory that is neither metaphysical realism, and that is that there's an absolutely real world out there and we're simply trying to map it, but it's already there, existing by its own nature. He rejects that. But he also rejects constructivism or postmodernism that we're just basically making it up as we go. It just, you know, just, in other words, the prioritization on the pure subjective. So he throws out the pure objectivity, he throws out the pure subjectivity, that this is all basically a solipsistic exercise of making up the world just out of, you know, whimsy, uh, or postmodernism, the deconstructivism, and all of that. He throws those two out, and then he looks for something in between. This is a man, as far as I know, I don't think he has any, any real knowledge of Buddhism. So it's quite interesting he came up with it, as far as I can tell, on his own, deriving from Kant, Wittgenstein, and William James. But he comes up with this middle way, this pragmatic realism, where phenomena do exist, but they exist in relative to our formulation of them. And he gives this metaphor, and then I'll stop. He said, therefore, we are like characters in a novel. We, human beings, we're like characters in a novel who are writing the novel. So it's not solipsism. It's easy to think that's it. Oh, you're just making it up, are you? No, no. Once you set up your questions, then you can't simply decide 
uh, you know, in the matter intermatter interface, well, I, my feeling is it should be 5%. You know, it's not, it's not that kind of a novel, no, but you set up, you write the script for the type of measurements you will make and the type of concepts that you will formulate to make sense of the measurements. But then you make discoveries, and they're not just artifacts, they're not just free creations of your system of measurement. Otherwise, why spend a lot of money? Just, you know, write a novel. But nor is it simply getting what's absolutely out there. It's something in between. Yeah? Quite interesting. Okay, so let's ask the other question. As the physicists are spending hundreds of millions of dollars asking physical questions about why do we exist, now let's spend nothing <laughs> asking why do we exist by probing into the other side of the ledger, the other side of the equation, without which there would be no physics. And without any physics, there would be no story of the physical evolution of the universe. Let's probe into the other side of ledger and we can do it for free here at the Mind Center. As always, let's settle the body, speech, and mind in the natural states.
with the eyes open, let your gaze rest vacantly and evenly in the space in front of you. Simply resting your awareness in space. Sustain the flow of mindfulness in the present moment without slipping into distraction, without grasping onto anything, either objective or subjective. Simply be present. On occasion, draw your awareness in upon itself with the question, what is the very nature of this awareness? Then release your awareness without object, profoundly, deeply relaxed, and withdraw your awareness once again upon itself into that singularity, withdrawn from space, withdrawn from time, drawn into the simplicity of awareness.
insofar as you have the experience of the locus of your attention, the center of your awareness, being up around your head or in the head. See if you can release this image, this idea. Release the grasping onto I am in the head. And let your awareness descend to the heart, as if you were experiencing from the heart, the center of the chest, the heart chakra. Rest your awareness there with no object, sustaining the awareness of awareness. Then release your awareness into space. Release all sense of there being a center and a periphery. Utterly release your awareness into space and gently sustain that awareness, that knowing of knowing in withdrawing your awareness from all appearances, mental and sensory. You may have the sense that you're withdrawing into a very tiny point, vanishingly small. But as you rest in the simplicity of awareness, 
that vanishingly small point of awareness may reveal itself as an open expanse indivisible from space. Rest now in the sheer cognizance, the sheer luminosity of experience indivisible from space and let's practice in silence.
And let's bring this session to a close. For those of you who are devoting at least some of your sessions to awareness of awareness, you may find a very nice compliment or, com- or a complementary practice in between sessions uh, is the open presence. So it will su- then over the course of the day, as similar to having just one session where there's that oscillation, that release into space and then coming back into awareness, re- release into space, back into, you can have your whole day be like that. In between sessions, just open awareness, not spacing out, but just wide open awareness without distraction, without grasping, but being aware of whatever is arising in any of the six domains, attending to them. In the scene, let there be just the scene, and the herd, just the herd, and so forth. But wide open, spacious, loose, relaxed in between sessions. And then during sessions, then, like the inhalation, inhale into the awareness of awareness, and rest there right in the sheer luminosity and the sheer cognizance of awareness. Could be good balance. Okay? Good. Enjoy a spacious day.